Well, thank you, Pauline and uh, Jumbo, to you <laughs> and to all of you. I am so happy to join with all the others in this chorus of wishing you a happy new year. Um, I want to say, though, that years ago, uh, here's what people were predicting about uh, what the year 2020 would be like. Is it anything like today? Here were three predictions. By now, we would be vacationing on the moon and astronauts would have landed on Pluto. Okay? Um, we would all be living to 150 years old. How many, of you, how many of you wish that was fulfilled and that was true? Some of you saying, no, no, no. <laughs> and uh, also, maybe you want this third one. By now, robots would do almost all of our physical work, including all of our laundry. Okay, so anyway, there we are. Speculations about 2020. Um, it might be interesting to think on those things, but on this first Sunday of the new year, we have the privilege of being captivated by God's word for us today. That is, it is a privilege. In the church calendar, this day is called Epiphany Sunday, bringing us to the conclusion of our Christmas season. And the scripture reading from John chapter 1 that we heard read to us and now that we look to, if you have your scriptures, we're going to look at a number of scripture passages, but we're going to keep coming back to John chapter 1. And uh, this text carries us in a beautiful way from the nativity to the epiphany. The nativity, the birth of Jesus, is covered in just one sentence in the Gospel of John. Uh, Matthew and Luke spend two chapters unfolding the Christmas story. But here in John, it is simply reduced to one majestic sentence in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I want to think just for a moment about that one sentence. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And think with you for a moment, what is, or better yet, who is the Word? John writes in uh, verse 1, earlier in the chapter, as you look at it in your text, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So let's consider other scripture verses that John was aware of as he wrote this in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks, and the world comes into being just through his word. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of their, his mouth. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And in Isaiah 55, think of these words so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
That's why, when you think of that one verse, that's why we believe in the power of studying the scriptures. That's why we believe in the power of preaching God's word. Because when God's word goes out, God's purposes will be accomplished. We believe in that today. I know that. That's why you're here. You're trusting that. You're, you're wanting to hear, is there a word from the Lord that I can hear today? And when we read in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we believe that God's final word is none other than Jesus. This word has come to live among us, make his dwelling with us, to settle down with us, to make his home with us. And now in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now you know this, Alpha is the first letter of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet, omega, the last letter of the alphabet. So Jesus is all the letters of the alphabet. The eternal word holds all things together. And the one who is present as the very first word in Genesis 1-1 is the one who is present at the conclusion as well. What we have spent the past month pondering is this Christmas story, the descent. The Messiah, this mighty rescuer, the eternal word, coming as a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Is this impressive? There is a way in which you might say it doesn't seem to be. Jesus coming in poverty is the story of a poor child in a barn-like setting, awe-inspiring, Now, the legends of Hercules are much more imposing. In them, we read about baby Hercules while he's in his crib grabbing two poisonous snakes and then killing them with his bare hands. Now, now that's imposing. That's power, isn't it? But before Jesus was two years old, his life was endangered. He and his parents fled as refugees to Egypt. The life of Jesus was one of humility where he descends to a lowly life. Paul writes this of Jesus, And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus made himself nothing. The Word became flesh. The Word, the eternal Word, took on sickness and pain. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. A humble beginning in the incarnation and a humble goal by going to the cross. And for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross and died for us. Islamic teaching says that God is just too great. Muslims, in wanting to honor Jesus in some way, say that it's impossible. He could never stoop so low as to become a real human being. For God to become a human being, impossible. But the life of Jesus 
for us, we know this, is bookended with two great miracles that we hold on to. We think of the life of Christ and we think of the bookends of his story with incarnation and resurrection and we know that we are standing in awe before a miracle. The incarnation and the resurrection. Incarnation is so linked with the humility of God. In the ancient world, humility was scorned. But after Jesus, humility became a virtue. Scholars suggest we would never aspire to the virtue of humility if it were not for Jesus, the historical impact of his life. We would not have invented the picture of a humble God if it were not for Jesus. He revolutionized our understanding of this word. And after his life, humility has become beautiful. We are drawn to models of humility. We're turned off by the pride of others. The humble person can laugh at herself or himself. They don't keep records when they're wronged. Humility is not about pursuing one's own glory. How can we pursue this humility? And after reflecting on this for some years, I continue to value the insight of C.S. Lewis where he writes, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. So he writes, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's the second part, though, of John chapter 1, verse 14, that we haven't read yet. We want to look at that now. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But now we come to the next part of the Christmas story, or we come to the epiphany. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. In the dictionary, the word epiphany means an illuminating discovery. In Christian studies, the epiphany is Christ's manifestation to the world when the Magi bowed down in worship. The manifestation of Jesus to the world through these wise men traveling from a far-off land. That's why we strategically sang that song, We Three Kings. It fits well on this Sunday being Epiphany Sunday. These travelers who were far from God followed the light of the star, which in turn leads them to the Savior. Following the light, Christ is worshipped by the far-off nations. They are, in a sense, a picture of all of us who are far away. Separated by 2,000 years, we still can behold his glory and worship him today and see him. In Genesis, God's first creative word is this, 
Let there be light. Light is the very first thing that God creates. In verse 4, John 1, 4, we read, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. His shining light is not just for the Magi, but it is for us today. In verse 5, note this, the light shines in the darkness. Now, did you notice that in the scripture reading, in all the other verses leading up to verse 5, all of the verbs were in the past tense. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. In Him was life. But now we come to verse 5, and John writes, the light shines in the darkness. Note the usage of John's verb tense. He doesn't just say, well, the light shone in the darkness 2,000 years ago and stopped. But years later, when he wrote the letter, the light is still shining. And now it still shines on. Even now, the light shines. The light shines in the darkness. Now, do you ever look at the world and you say, oh, it just feels like the darkness is winning. You look at the news. You look at politics. You look at conflict. Do you ever feel like you are in darkness? I think some of you know, in fact, many of you know what it's like at different moments in your life to say, I am in a very dark moment right now. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's just a problem that can't be worked out. Maybe your problem has lasted too long. But the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has tried to put out the light. But here is the good news. Even on the darkest day, and what is the darkest day? When John was writing that, what do you think? He wrote this after Jesus had ascended. And I think he was pondering the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Saying that even on the day of the crucifixion, the darkness could not put out the light. It could never extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness. And God's creative word in Genesis 1-3, let there be light, still continues today. John clarifies in verse 9 that, that Jesus is the true light, the true light that gives light to everyone. Is it not true for you and me that, that we all live, though, in a world where there is both light and darkness. Both physically, by day and night, but, but also spiritually and emotionally. When you see and then feel like the light is so strong and other moments where you feel like the darkness is pushing against you. I'd like to suggest to you four applications on this Sunday of the new year. Four questions that I want to ask as you think of this text in John chapter 1. 
And the first question is this, a simple one. Will I trust in this light? Will I trust in this light who is Jesus? John writes sad news of an unwelcoming world. We read about that as uh, we saw that in verses 9 and 10. Even though the light was coming into the world, they did not recognize him. Didn't recognize the light. Paul's letter to the book of Romans, he puts it even in a stronger way there, saying that they would not recognize Jesus who is the light. They pushed him away. But verse 12 is a hopeful picture. John 1, 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The whole goal of the gospel is to move women and men towards faith in Jesus Christ. It's the whole purpose of the gospel of John so that when we get to the very end of the gospel, John says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing on him, you might have life through his name. It's the purpose. It's the heart of the story, isn't it? Famously rediscovered by Martin Luther and the church at the Reformation, 1517, just over 500 years ago, by faith alone, sola fide, yet it keeps being rediscovered at the renewal of each person. Every time a person comes to the light and says, I trust in this light, that renewal is made once again. At its core, Christian faith is trusting in the word become flesh. It is a readiness to say, Lord, I trust you for this new year and everything that is in it. I trust you. Even though the world is chasing after the next big thing, whether it's success or popularity or more money, it is enough that I am your child. I cling to your goodness today and I will keep walking towards your light. Is there enough light for us? Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and and philosopher and follower of Jesus said, there is enough light for those who wish to see. And there is enough darkness for those who are otherwise inclined. Will I trust in the light this year? Second question, will I let this light shine first of all on my life? May I remind you that we're called to personal faith in Jesus, but it's never a private faith in Jesus. Some of you are here today and I believe that some of you are here today and you're carrying burdens all by yourselves and you feel like you are in a very dark place because you have never really shared your burden with one other person. Now, you're not asked to share your burdens with 500 other people, but what about one or two? And to say, 
I'm going to pull back the darkness and let the light shine on my life so that I expose to one or two other people what I'm really struggling with deeply inside. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Maybe God is nudging you to ask for prayer following the service. We have a prayer corner just towards the back. And at the conclusion of the service, when things are all wrapped up, if you don't feel like things are done then, maybe it's time for you to say, I'm going to let the light shine on my struggle. I'm going to share it with one other person and ask for prayer. Or maybe... God is encouraging you to join a small group where you can meet on a weekly basis or an every other week basis with some other Christian friends where you can pour out your heart so that you can uh, join a small group and whatever the case may be, you were not meant to carry your burdens all alone. That's living in the darkness where you hide it and just say, I'm going to take care of it all by myself That's not how you were designed to be. That's not how you're designed to live. So will I start by letting that light shine on myself? Beautiful tune. Um, Third question is this. How far will I travel? How far will you travel? Now, how far did the Magi travel? when they came to see Jesus. Any guesses? Uh, We don't know the exact answer to this question. What we do know is they came from a foreign land. Might have been hundreds, maybe thousand kilometers. They, They traveled a distance. And whatever the distance, they were ready to invest great effort to find the newborn king. They have spent great amounts of money They are giddy with excitement. There is no Air Canada, no Air Arabia, no Hilton, no Best Western. They have made an uncomfortable journey with dangers en route. They have traveled a long ways, pouring out great amounts of energy, money, time, thinking, thought, and setting aside many other projects so that they could pursue the newborn king. How about King Herod and his religious advisors? How far were they from the king of the Jews? Any guesses now there? Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Grand distance is eight kilometers. There it is. So an eight kilometer distance, yet they could not be bothered to pour out the energy to seek and to make the trip. So as you think of that light shining... Maybe the question is, how far are you ready to travel? How much are you ready to give? What are you ready to put into the game to seek after that light? God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah with this question. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have two things in our life, knowledge in our head, and hunger in our hearts. Guess which one God rewards. 
Some were very close to Jesus and they made no effort to move towards him. Others were far off and sought him out. Here is the good news. Wherever you are, wherever you are geographically, wherever you are spiritually, you are not too far from God. He is not hidden. He is revealed. But there is an invitation. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, God says this, and it says, Come, descendants of Jacob. Maybe instead of descendants of Jacob, you can put your name in there. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This pursuit of Jesus is none other than a long obedience in the same direction. It is a pursuit. And so the question then is, how far will I travel? Fourth question is this, will I shine like a star? Jesus came to bear witness to the light. Look at John 1.8, back to the gospel reading that we looked at. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. What are you bearing witness to? Everybody's life bears witness to something. Everybody's life is presenting something as a truth or a value. We do that out of our very nature. We are bearing witness to something. John came to bear witness to the light. Question is, will I shine like a star? In the book of Revelation, the seven churches are described as seven lampstands. It's interesting. It's, the churches are not described as these bright shining lights, but they're described as lampstands on which you place the light. Here we are, 3434 Cothra Road, MCB lampstand. Light shines, geographic locations. When John wrote that letter to the book of Revelation, he was pointing out different geographic spots and said, there's a light there, there's a light there, there's a light here, there's a light that's shining here. And then Jesus went further to say, you are the light of the world. You are the light. You are a light in the sense that you're this small light, or maybe you're this reflective light, just as the light of the sun shines on the moon and then the moon shines and we can walk sometimes at night with the light from the moon only because of the light of the sun is shining on the moon in the first place. You shine to give glory to your Father in heaven. The Magi followed a star. Paul says in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. 
Now, if a star can point people to Jesus, we know that it did, then you and I can also point the way to him. You and I are also kind, called to shine like a star. But the one criteria in that verse of how to shine like a star is to do all things without complaining or arguing. Imagine that. Do you think we can do that for 2020? Ah, thank you. (laughs) God intends for you to be the star of Bethlehem. In a crooked and depraved generation, we're to be the light shining in a dark place that when people follow us, they find Christ. You can shine like stars in the universe. Do you struggle with New Year's resolutions? Few people ask me, what's your New Year's resolution? And I shrugged my shoulders. I said, I don't even think I have one this year. I, I didn't even make one. And maybe that's okay because I just read uh, a little while ago that people keep only 4% of the New Year's resolutions that they actually make. But if I want to give you one, maybe it's a lifelong challenge, one that can be made every year. This resolution can be this, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. (laughs) I'm going to let this light shine. First of all, it's going to shine on my life. And I'm going to let this light shine on my life so that I'll expose it so that, so that Jesus can actually do his surgery on me and that I can admit who I am before him and, and before a handful of others as well. I want to live honestly. I want to live truthfully so that his light shines on me. And then I, I want to let it shine for others as well. I want to let that light shine so that other people can see it. And I want to let this light shine so that, so that I'm giving glory to my Father in heaven. Do you want those things today? Do you want those things for 2020? Maybe our resolution can be singing this little light of mine and just thinking of all of those items that we've talked about I'm going to let it shine on my life. So I think you know the words. We're not going to put it up. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Well, the object of of a new year is not necessarily just that we turn the calendar over to a new year. The object of a new year is that we should have a new soul. 
that his light shines on us so that we're changed. As we think of the new year, it's time to think of the new work that God wants to do in us. Isaiah 43 says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Jesus wants to do something just brand new in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And in the book of Revelation, we read this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. You see, as his light shines on us, he's ready to do something new in us. Something new in us in 2020. But we realize that we need strength for the journey. We can't do this all alone. We need his light to shine on us and his nourishment to come to us. We need the work of Christ in us so that we can say, nothing but myself I bring, simply to your cross I cling.